Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Look at this world. This beautiful world. We built this world together. A world where dreams come true. A world where you can be free. But this world is a lie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, a recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And welcome to the show. Uh, This is a preview episode for season two. It's been a while since we've been on the air, but we wanted to to whet people's appetite for what is to come. And and who better to whet things than Uh. our guest today for this episode of the podcast. You may have seen him in television shows and films such as The Disaster Artist, Fresh Off the Boat, Veep, and The League. He's also the podcast host of the insanely popular show, How Did This Get Made? Paul Shear. Welcome to Decoding Westworld. How are you doing today, Paul? I am doing great. Let me tell you, right now, I am nerding out being on your show because you got me through season one. I'm so happy you're back. Uh, 500 days almost since the season one of Westworld is over and since I've had you in my ears on a weekly basis talking about Westworld. So I'm very, very excited to be here. I feel uh, very lucky to be the first one back in the in the saddle here. Oh, well, it's an honor to have you here, Paul. It's just an honor all around, really, is what we're saying. <laughs> I learned a very important lesson, by the way, what for is the, my season two listening of your podcast. David, whenever you believe something is not right that Joanna says... Uh, I'm going to believe Joanna because yeah. I feel like I, I, <laughs> it's becoming a running joke at this point that I should never doubt Joanna Robinson again. And yet I somehow find a way. I somehow find a way. Um, Joanna, but- <laughs> you are like a Svengali. You figured out this show in such a masterful way, so casually, too. It was like watching the best close-up magician. It was like, you're oh, blowing no. my mind, but you, you you didn't even make it like a big deal. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, and then this, and then this, and then this. It was like, ah, oh, every week. Let's put a pin in that, Paul. I want to return to that yes, for a I- second. But in the meantime, I want to make a, a couple quick announcements about the show. First of all, you can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Now, we had originally had plans to have this season be completely free of charge to listeners and uh, that unfortunately fell through we, we had sponsorship plans that fell through uh, so instead we launched a kickstarter we were planning on recording this episode to promote that kickstarter little did we know that our listeners would come through for us in a huge way and at, at this point the kickstarter has already been fulfilled so you guys are amazing Thank you so much to the uh, couple hundred people who backed us on Kickstarter. There's still an opportunity to get in on that if you want. I actually bought this URL, guys, uh, podcastkickstarter.com, podcastkickstarter.com. You go there. It'll take you straight to our Kickstarter if you want to back us. 
We greatly appreciate it. Slick operation. I know. It's wow. really yeah, you guys are really yeah. stepping it up. Yeah. You guys are like the like the Delos Corporation <laughs> has gotten involved in this podcast. I know. Yeah. It just it took like a whole fifteen dollars to get that URL. <laughs> um so <laughs> wanna point out that uh we are actually uh, open to having sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, uh this podcast reaches a hundred thousand people uh roughly every episode. Let us know if you are interested to get your product or service in front of those people, you can email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. What about like someone like me? If I just wanted to like get on and just advertise just stuff in my life, could I could I do that? Could I buy ad space on here? You know, just the answer is yes. But you know what, <laughs> Paul? For you, you just appear as a guest and you can promote right. whatever the hell you want. All right. Uh, <laughs> on that note, I should say you are actually launching a mystery project in a few weeks, right? Uh, yes. So uh, co-hosted by uh, Amy Nicholson, who you might know from her podcast, The Canon. And yeah. we're doing, yeah, we're doing something that involves movies. It's kind of the opposite of how did this get made. And, uh, you know, I can only say, stay tuned. May 17th is when it comes out. I can't even give the title because I'm, I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut about it. But, uh, all right. We've already said too know, much. Yeah, you already said too much, but there you go. It's the opposite of how did this get made. It's basically a bunch of movies that didn't get made, right? Is what <laughs> yeah. I, you're talking about like fictional movies, right? We yeah, or, or or we know exactly how they get made. That's the mystery right now for your audience. How, we know the exact how did specific. how did these not get made? Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge Amy Nicholson fan. I'm a huge Paul Shear fan. Huge how did this get made fan. So I will be tuning into this oh mystery gosh. project that I will not be talking anymore about. Well, I'm very excited. Look, keep uh, keep your I, I don't know. I don't know how to even promote something that's not. Keep your orifices open, um, (laughs) and you will you will get whatever Paul's project is when it when it happens. You'll figure it out. Agreed with Joanna. Huge fan of uh, Amy yourself, and also all of your projects. So looking forward to whatever the heck that is. It should be a lot of fun. Okay, so what are we going to do this episode? I I I thought it'd be a good idea for us to gather together, reflect again on season one and where we are at the end of Westworld season one. Talk about some of the stuff that's happened in the last few weeks. So many things have happened, guys. This has been this ARG. Jonathan Nolan rickrolled the entire internet. Uh, Paul Shear hosted this Westworld Season 2 panel. And then sort of talk about what we're looking forward to in Season 2. Full disclosure, right? We are not spoiling anything from, anything from Season 2, but I think, uh, Joanna, you've seen the first episode of Season 2. Is that correct? Correct. And Paul, have I you have seen two. It? And okay. I've also seen a two-minute-long trailer that is every episode up until the final episode. Right, they do like that season preview thingy, right? Yes. Yeah. Call trailers as fair game? Like, uh, you know, in the sense of Things that we've seen in trailers, does that feel about right? I know that you guys have a very much a no, pre, you know, next week on, but I mean, there has been stuff that has been out. If it's out, it's been out in a trailer that's publicly available on YouTube. We'll talk about that. So if you if but you if don't want to getting like if you're just getting like Evan Rachel Woods like bootleg trailers that she makes for her friends, right? Then we cannot talk about that. That's correct. Off limits. That's correct. Evan did send me a lot of those, but I'm not going to talk about them. <laughs> so doesn't right on her phone. They're great. So if you don't want to hear about that, uh, then just uh, skip ahead when we get to our season two talk. But uh, let's talk first about season one. Now, Paul, did you watch the show when it first came out? Because it sounds like you rewatched it recently based on some of your tweets. I did. Um, so I was asked to host this Westworld season two panel. And it's been a long time since uh, Westworld was on. Like, yeah. you know, like I said, almost like two years. I really wanted to be on my A game because I understood that Whatever we're going to be talking about in season two, I need to have a great understanding of season one. They're not going to give spoilers out, right? This is the most tight-lipped cast in the biz. So I needed to make sure that I was fresh with all the information and not go like, uh, 
So Maeve was kind of doing this, I think. You know, so I wanted to really make sure. So I rewatched uh, season one uh, a couple weeks ago, and then I also listened to your whole podcast in the order that was released. I wow. jumped into your podcast originally later on in the season. Right. So now this is a great chance to kind of go back to the origin of it all. And I have to say, the best Westworld podcast out there. I mean, oh. you guys, that, you guys are the best. Thanks, Paul. We really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. And I will be honest, I was kind of curious how well the podcast would hold up because I have very many fond memories of that podcast. Um, but I do feel like a lot of it was us figuring out what the heck was going on in this show. Now that people know, you know, I was hoping the podcast would still be enjoyable and it sounds like it was. So glad to hear it. I think the interesting thing about this show, and I think, Joanna, you said this so well, it's about the discussion afterwards. I think that this is one of those rare shows and, and one of the only shows really out and on right now that you can really dive into and it's so much more alive in conversation. So even in rewatching the season, it was like, oh, right, just all these little things that you might have missed and just engaging your brain a little bit more on the show. It, it really is a great companion piece. But you know that because you're listening. So don't need to <laughs> you, convert you, the listener at home, know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, exactly. So, John Robinson, let me ask you. You've rewatched season one recently as well, and we really got caught up in the show when it first came out, almost 500 days ago, as Paul said. And I'm curious, like as you, as you rewatched it, were you thinking to yourself, "Oh man, like I remember what 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 the magic of the show was that got me enthralled, <laughs> you know, and and into it?" Or were you thinking to yourself, "Why did I ever appreciate this?" Or was it some mix of it? You know, what was your overall reaction rewatching season? One. I had rewatched the season sort of as we were watching it the first time. I didn't just watch it once through because you know me and how obsessive I am. So I was like constantly rewatching it as we were podcasting about it the first time. So it's not like this is the first time I was able to watch it through knowing everything. But that being said, with like the distance yeah. and time away from season one and our discussion of it, it was really enjoyable. I really liked it. You, uh, your brain can sort of uh, like unclench a little because you like you know where it's all going and so you can sort of absorb maybe some of the visuals or the acting um, a bit more uh, closely and at, but I will say that watching it I really missed the discussion I, I agree with Paul uh, agreeing with me which is that the, um, <laughs> which is that yeah it's, I, I was really ex I'm really excited season two's back because they love talking about it with you and then like hearing from all the listeners all the emails we get all the tweets everyone trying to figure it out together I did want to go back to what you guys were saying earlier when you're being so nice to me and give credit as I always try to do to Reddit which definitely is the one that like really figured out what was happening in the show the only thing that I will like allow Dave to give me credit for is like listening to the right redditors as opposed to all the redditors but like i i we have to give them like a lot of credit this is one of those interesting shows where there's something for the, like the i like to call them the reddit detectives there's something for them and then there's something for other people too and and then there's something for people who like both i'm just really excited for season two to plunge us all back into that you know yeah well you know joanna you you said something on the, the show i think you both actually talked about this a lot the idea of like the prestige and like how that kind of unravels in a very you know succinct way. I think when I watched season one again and watching it in a in a binge fashion, I almost think it, it pays off. I dare say better in in a bingeable way because it. I think all the reveals just come in a quicker way and it, and it feels like there's a, a momentum to it. I think the week in between, while it's been so fun to discuss, it also I think it it also plays better as a as a ten hour movie in a way. Do you get? Did you find that at all? I, I think you're definitely right about that, Paul. Because I think that a lot of people's dissatisfaction with the show stemmed as a result of 
uh, and I think we said this on the show, and uh, I think it was Joanna that first said it, but that oftentimes you don't know what you're looking at. Right. Uh, and I know this, the show popularized the saying, that doesn't look, look like anything to me, but I think you, you literally don't know what is happening. Like, when is this think, taking place? Like, is this character yeah. a real character? Is, are they a robot? Um, is, is this, like, interaction between Bernard and Dolores a memory? Is, is Bernard even Bernard? Or is he Arnold? Like, you don't even know what's actually happening. And I think a lot of people found that frustrating. But if you watch it all at once, that frustration does not linger for nearly as long. And it, it kind of pays off in a much quicker way. Emerging from my season one rewatch, I've decided that my favorite quote from that season is not, that doesn't look like anything to me, or these violent delights of violent ends but it's Dolores is like where am I when am I or like whatever like like that's that's Westworld basically while we were watching season one and doing this podcast I definitely rewatched the prestige I think I rewatched Interstellar I watched a few of Jonathan and Memento I watched a few of Jonathan Nolan's films but I recently rewatched all of the Nolan films uh not just the ones that Jonathan worked on but like you know Chris's stuff too you know his brother Chris whatever that guy and uh I feel like so steeped in what they find interesting and uh you know, like multiple timelines and philosophy and maybe occasionally they don't have the always the firmest grasp on humanity. But I think Westworld is the most successful out of all of these projects in terms of finding humanity in these like oddly enough, these inhuman characters. Yeah, guys, I love Westworld. I'm really <laughs> Look, looking back on it, you know, as I was rewatching, I rewatched like the second half of the season and as I was rewatching, I did remember, like, oh man, I remember why I fell in love with the show because, like, the world building is so good. The way the hosts are conceived and executed, you know, with a combination of special effects and visual effects and visual trickery, like how, you know, when when they freeze all motor function, you know, it's a combination of CG and visual effects that they they are able to put into place. I also was able to recognize some of the the flaws of the show too, right? Some things that I didn't like the first time around continued to linger. I felt like Sizemore, like they didn't really figure out what to do with that character. Tessa Thompson's character, it just felt like miscast to me. I've seen her in the trailer for season two, so I'm curious how they're going to use her. But that character felt like it needed to be played by an actor that was 20 years older, in my opinion. The final episode of the season, there's just so many twists no less than two occasions in the final episode a character says to ford oh so this was the actual answer and then ford says no and then proceeds to provide the actual answer so it's like people were led down one path but then like it wasn't actually right and that reversal happened like several times in the finale it just felt really dense and I i could understand why people were frustrated. And I was also really grateful to be doing a podcast about it because if I hadn't been, I would have been completely lost during the uh, the final <laughs> few episodes. I think a lot of the issues you mentioned there, maybe not in the, like all the cluster finale twists, though I don't think they're going to do that again in season two. I don't right. know for a fact, but I think they're not going to try to prestigious as hard in season two. You can't really do exactly that again, right? So they're, they're probably going to do some you know, timeline trickery or sleight of hand or whatever, but I don't think it's going to be quite as incredibly jaw-dropping. This person is not who you think they are. But the other thing that I'm really excited about for season two is, I know we talked about this in season one, there was that like production issue sort of midway through season one where they stopped and they wound up sort of, I think, as far as, you know, following what they've said in interviews, 
revising uh, like the back half or the back two thirds of the season and then proceeding with the rest of the season. I think they did sort of like a soft reboot partway through. And so some of that characterization or like the Teresa character leaving the Charlotte character arriving, like some of that stuff I think was a result of them being like, Oh wait, no, this is the story we want to tell. But there isn't going to be that in season two because they, they took their time we know because (laughs) paul paul counted down it's been 500 days um they took their time and so all of season two was sort of very clear in their mind when they started and so i think some of those things that maybe like don't line up even when you binge it won't be a problem it was my hope and guess you know the show season one of the show now has been referred to as like the prequel or you know like the prelude to the actual show and then this is the actual show so that's an interesting idea that that's probably more retrofitted than than uh, intended but in a weird way, the way we leave off in season one, you know, we are now very invested in multiple character stories and they're all at these different levels of awakening. And so now we have a, a little bit more of a linear story to follow, you know, so it's like it's we don't have to introduce anything now. Now we're almost I would imagine what may be part of the season is separating from the group. You know, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Like we may see an episode, you know, just with Maeve's character or the the man in black. And we may just like we may our timelines may be concurrent, but just separate, if that makes right. sense. Well, and I feel like that may be more digestible to people because I think that that's the, the big thing that people were really rebelling against. The people who don't like the show, I think, just feel it's too dense. It's too hard to get into. It's too hard to follow. You're alluding to one of the biggest twists of season one, which is that we find out in the final episode of season one that uh, William is the same person as the man in black. Just in, And you've been watching two different timelines the entire time, which is a mind-blowing what? reveal. Or at least it would have been if we hadn't uh, <laughs> spoiled it on Decoding Westworld. Now, speaking of spoiling, well, let's let's get to that in a second. Uh, let's talk just briefly about like where things are. Right, what has happened at the end of season one? Ford has decided to uh, like in short, he's decided to release the hounds. He's decided to set the the hosts free. And as season one comes to an end, the hosts are descending upon a prestigious gala full of board members of Delos, presumably about to lay waste to them. Uh, Dolores uh, fires a bullet through uh, Dr. Ford's head and then just starts indiscriminately firing at the crowd as we smash cut to black. End credits. Very curious how that's all going to play out. Any, any other sort of plot lines at the end of season one that you guys feel... It's important to to mention. Yeah, before, yeah I mean, ahead. I think I think the the most important plot line I would argue is the Maeve plot line, where yeah. you have this character oh, yeah. who is arguably the most aware or conscious now. You know, she she I think out of all the hosts is the most uh, there, and she makes this giant choice at the end of the season where she. Uh, decides to go back for her child, which is not even her child. It's a, another host that was programmed to be her child. And, um, you know, based on the, the things I read after season one, that was her first conscious thought. And it was a very emotional thought because everything else up into there was planned by Ford. Because, again, the whole idea, like, f- this was Ford's master plan, the assassination of Ford, the assassination of people in Westworld, you know, again, may have been retrofitted afterwards, but that was his whole plan. His entire season was leading up to this finale. Uh, so that was, I think, a very big moment for the Maeve character to kind of go back and kind of brings you up to this whole idea of, like, what is awareness versus what's humanity and is you know because she makes a very human choice there there's a double kind of subversion 
with her getting off the train at the end, right? Part one is that she has this daughter, but it's not really her daughter. It's like a daughter that's been imprinted upon her, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like a fake memory. It's, obviously, they're hosts. They don't actually have, have children that we know of, at least. So she, gets, she decides, like, hey, it doesn't matter that this is like a memory that's been implanted in me. Like, th- there's something about the fact that I remember this person as my daughter that is going to drive me to get off this train. That's, that's part one of, like, why I feel that's a significant moment. Part two is she is going against her programming, right? Because earlier in either that episode or the episode before, it was revealed that escape from the compound was programmed into her, presumably by Ford, I think, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so getting off the train is her saying, like, I'm not going to do what I'm programmed. Like, and so it's kind of her humanity awakening within her. Yes. Is, uh, yeah, very effective. I consider it a holy trinity at this point. So you've got Dolores, you've got Maeve, then you have Bernard. Bernard is the third character, the third host in, as Paul put it, like some process of awakening. Like, where is he? He looked largely confused uh, and perturbed at this uh, gala uh, by what Dolores is doing. And so so we have yet to see, you know, he's the one who maybe has the tricky, you know, because like Maeve and Dolores have been programmed this whole time and that's what happened. But he has this other dimension of like, I thought I was human. I'm mm-hmm. not a human. What does that even mean? What, where's my allegiance? What do I do? And so I think that those three different stages of like, I don't know, I would consider Dolores like kind of in a pure vengeance mode as we close out season one Maeve in like a, a emotion driven sort of from a good emotion driven uh, point of view. And then Bernard somewhere in the middle and confused is, is sort of my feeling on it. And then finally the, the, the character that's worthy of mentioning is William, the man in black finally becomes alive. And to me at the end of season one, you know, it's like the thing that he's been hoping for, this idea of being able to have real stakes in this world, it happens. You know, the, the look that Ed Harris gives at the end of that episode. Yeah, that smile. It, it's a wonderful look. Yeah. I, I, I was saying, I, you know, I know you alluded to the fact that I talked to the cast this week, but, um, you know, it was interesting. I, I was saying to them that this is a cast that can do more with their eyes than most actors can do with a brilliantly written monologue. I mean, from Maeve, when she walks through the, whatever the building terminal is, uh, you know, of Westworld and she's seeing everything for the first time and Ed Harris in that moment, they're like, there's so much going on there. I think it's due to the great writing too, but it's, it, they can pull off so much just with a look. And uh, I'm very excited to see where Ed Harris goes because I have a big theory on Ed Harris that uh, I Ooh. that I pre- I presented it to Ed and uh, he responded uh, very well to my theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and again, no spoilers. I just feel like I have a theory on it. Well, yeah. So let's talk about theorizing, right? Because uh, Jonathan Nolan appeared on the Westworld subreddit and shocked the world recently. This is ten days ago, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll read a little bit from this uh, Reddit post he made. He said, "Hey, Reddit." Many thanks for your great questions and thoughts. As I've said before, I've been a member of the Reddit community for years, and I greatly enjoyed watching the friendly folks of this subreddit guess the twists and turns of the season. Creates a larger problem for us, though, in terms of the way your guesswork is reported online. Theories can actually be spoilers, and the line between the two is confusing. It's something we've been thinking about since last season. Fans of Game of Thrones, for instance, rallied around and protected the secrets of the narrative, in part because they already knew those secrets through season five, for instance. We thought about this long and hard and came to a difficult and potentially high highly controversial decision. If you guys agree, we're going to post a video that lays out the plot and twists and turns of season two. Everything, the whole sorted thing up front. 
That way, the members of the community here who want the season spoiled for them can watch ahead and then protect the rest of the community and help to distinguish between what's theory and what's spoiler. It's a new age and a new world in terms of the relationship between the folks making shows and the community watching them, end quote. So this is an... Incredible offer that if this, uh, but it it, it automatic it stunk very quickly because he said like it was like a thousand upvotes or something. Yeah, if this post receives a thousand upvotes, we'll deliver the goods, which is a laughably small number of upvotes, right? Like it's it, it was definitely going to be achieved. So already, kind of my my uh, spidey sense is tingling. But there were a few hours, a few hours after he made this post that we weren't sure if he was actually going to do this or not. And Joanna, I think you and I actually got pretty excited about. The prospect that he might do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's still she's still hurt by this, right? I, well, I feel know, personally attacked. <laughs> I, you know, I thought it was like a really interesting thing because I think it went from this idea of is this a bit, is this a joke, and then people literally were discussing it like this is the future of TV, and it felt to me that people were pretty okay with it. Like, yeah. didn't you get that? Like, people were like, yeah, yeah, no, like, let it be there for us to get into or not get into. It was a very interesting moment because I feel like if he was to have done that, I think it would have been received well. Uh, instead, well, he rolled us all. I think, I mean, I think it would have been mixed for for certain, but I think it might have been like better received than maybe he anticipated. He's like, this will be a hilarious joke. Probably yeah. no one will believe me. And like a bunch of us. TV writers with our heads up our asses were like, well, uh, this is, this is, we are in a post spoiler world now. And like, you know, they've, the Westworld has innovated its way to the future of discussion on television or something. Um, some of us looked like complete assholes. So, um. <laughs> that was literally my first question I asked him. I was like, you pulled this off. I was like, can you just, you know, cause David, you even wrote me, you said, you have to ask him, how does he sleep at night after that Rick roll? And I thought his answer was uh, pretty great. He said something like, um, I oh, love so did, did you actually ask that question? That was my first question <laughs> out of the gate. I, you know, I asked him about it. I said, look, your show has been nominated for 22 Emmys. The cast is fantastic. The writing is great. The, the show is stunningly beautiful. I said, but the most impressive thing that you were able to do was you were able to pull off the biggest Rickroll of all time. I was like, how did it come to be? And, you know, he, he kind of sheepishly was like, well, we love Reddit and we wanted to celebrate it in exactly the same way uh, they like to be celebrated, which is a very sadomasochistic relationship. <laughs> we overpromise and underdeliver. <laughs> and uh, I think we actually overdelivered because Evan and Angela playing the piano, you can't beat that. So he really just jumped right in and, and did that. I feel I feel a lot better about it. This has been very therapeutic for me. Thank you, Paul, for <laughs> relaying that answer. For, yeah, for, well, for those who don't know, by the way, uh, he did release a video uh, after it reached 1,000 upvotes, but it did not spoil season two. It was instead a Rickroll. Well, there was there was genuinely like the first I don't know 30 seconds or whatever yeah, is yeah. is genuine it got me interested because I said to him I was like you know it's interesting that you did this on reddit I said because I also feel like the fan community of Westworld in my opinion gets too obsessed with these details that don't make a difference like I don't care where Westworld is like I don't I, like as a as a writer and as a tv viewer I'm like it's unimportant it's like it's it's wherever you want it to be. I mean, if it's on Mars, I know that was the big conversation last year. It's like, it's, you know, it's like, I think it's sort of like these things, like how much does it cost? Is it this? Like, those are the details I think that they, that we can get wrapped up in. And then those are the details I think that also hurt all the lost fans where it was like, well, you didn't explain <laughs> all these things. Yeah. And it's like, but we've 
created those things that we want answers to. It's not like the mystery of the show isn't like, where is it? You know, it's like, yeah, you just have to like go along with this part so then we can give you the bigger ones, you know? And I kind of asked them, like, did they get frustrated about people getting hung up on, well, this was this and that was that, you know? And, you know, and, and she said, you know, uh, Lisa answered that and just basically said, yeah, you know, we, the show is bigger than these like little things and, you know, but people can get spun out over the little, the little details. And I think that's where I think the disappointment grows into the show a little bit. Cause it's like, you, yeah, you can never beat that. You can't beat our own imaginations. That's exactly where I get, I don't know if I even want to call it like over theorizing or whatever. It's just, I think anything should be fair game. Like if you want to spend a long time calculating how much it would cost, right. I think that's fine uh, as like a oh, fun thought experiment. About, yeah, 100%, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like make me an infographic. I will read it. But like to then get actually agitated and disappointed or angry at the show or something like that, because whatever you, you extrapolated and spent your time on outside the show did not come to fruition in the way you thought it would in the show. That's where I'm like, don't do that to yourself. Like, just don't do it to yourself. Why are you setting yourself up for that disappointment? Like, yeah, like, yeah, come up with a million theories about where Westworld may be. But if it winds up being in your own backyard, like that's just what the showrunners have decided. It's not like your version is better. Their version is the version. So well, it, there you and go. It's also like, it's like, to me, it's like, oh, well, they can't kill those robots at such a rate because the money would be, it's like, it's like all that sort of stuff. It's like, then you're like, you're actively taking yourself out of the enjoyment of the show. Like, I think, all these shows, you know, from Battlestar Galactica to Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Lost, all these shows that people love, there's a buy-in. You have to buy in at a certain level and be like, okay, yes, if I drill down on the logic, no show feels like it's flawlessly, even meticulously logic out. You have to kind of just jump in and go, I I buy that much of it. I have to buy that right. much of it. I, I buy that Walt is going to make a gun that goes in the back of his trunk that will go off with an alarm thing and, and you know, be able to mow down all the neo-Nazis. You know, it's like, you, you, you just have to be like, yeah, 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 I, I get that. But, you know, because I think that that can take you out of the enjoyment of it. And that's what a lot of the people I've talked to. Like, they get so hung up on the detail. I'd rather you get disappointed in the drama of the show or a reveal on the show. Or this performance let me down or like the pacing of yes. this episode is not what I wanted or whatever it is like that. You, it's not like you're not allowed to criticize the show. I would never say to anyone, right. like, turn your brain off, keep your brain on at all times. Going back to this Reddit thing, I did think it was interesting because John Robinson, you and I encountered this situation with the spoilering for our Game of Thrones podcast, The Cast of Kings, where book readers would often email us saying like, hey guys, my theory is that blank. And then it would be exactly what happens with like an excruciating amount of detail book readers pretending to not be book readers and then just speculating on the future right this is a phenomenon we encountered correct yeah i i will agree <laughs> it's so funny i when jonathan nolan posted this thing on reddit he was like oh we don't like it when theories are or actual spoilers are passed off as theories yeah um i like that was the main thing i responded to because that actually drives me insane and i think i got off like way up on my high horse and i was like yes <laughs> it's intellectually dishonest to do that and then uh shannon woodward who i like have a you know tweeting back and forth with sometimes like responded to that and so like you know an, an actress on the show and so you know she was like hell yeah basically and it's like i mean i it drives me crazy and that's why i'm only watching the show one episode at a time because i never want to come on here with spoilers in my head and be like well i have a theory that right. perhaps blah blah, blah. i think that's really <laughs> shitty and a lot of people do do it you know and if, if i know something i'm not going to theorize about it i know i have a lot of tv critic friends who have watched i think they sent hbo sent us like five episodes i've watched all of them and they're like "Ooh, can i talk to you about it and i'm like no i have to stay pure for theory for the sake of the theory so <laughs> It's so funny because uh, HBO, like HBO and, and uh, Jonah and Lisa, sent me 
a one episode, and like we we we'd send you five, you know, all five of us, but we just don't want you to even. Even because they knew that, like when I was going to sit down with them, if I had anything besides the first episode to talk about, it would be you know you you just can't control because sometimes it just gets in your head because you know where they're going, right? You know, five hours later. So I I found it to be incredibly helpful just to have the baseline of the premiere because uh, the, the audience had just watched it and then we were able to get right into it. Right, but but to cover off on this uh, uh, the Reddit point, I think. I think our show, Cast of Kings, John, actually offered like a really good model for somebody who knows all the facts, like like trying to protect someone who doesn't know the facts. So for for those who don't know, Joanna is a book reader. I wasn't, so she knew the entire plot of the show right. through season five, and I didn't. And so she would she would try to protect me from from spoilers for for the future seasons. And that is, I think, the model that they were alluding to here. That like if the entire Reddit community knew the entire plot of season two. They could like ban people who spoil things, right? They could protect people. How would you know what like exactly? If I or, like I just didn't right. understand how they were going to sift that out because a theories can like look multiple timeline theory was something that was figured out on Reddit. You know, in episode one, right? I think people on Reddit already like <laughs> just started dig- digging into it. Those logos are different, <laughs> and that yeah. means yeah. Well, no, tur- turns out amazing. Paul turns out Paul he didn't put too much thought into it. I think <laughs> in terms of uh, your answering your question, you know. Like, I agree, and I don't know that it would have been a good idea to um, trust the internet with, like, confirmed spoilers. I don't know that that's been really done on a mass scale like this before. Well, and also, um, it makes sense for Game of Thrones, which is based on a on a book. And unless this was going directly off of Future World, the sequel of the Yul Brenner Westworld right. film, like, there's no... How else would you get it? Like, I don't think there's, like, PAs from Westworld uh, going on here or, like, you know, director like M- Michelle McLaren going, okay, guys, here's my theory on Reddit. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I feel like it's it's easier to keep secrets on shows like this. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, as I'm saying it out loud, it's like, yeah, you know, you know what? The internet did know about things like the red wedding and the purple wedding, and there were a lot of people who weren't spoiled, you know. So right. it's possible it could have worked, but you're right. Like the actual execution of it and the logistics of how do you know it's a theory or not would have been complicated. In any case, an interesting flirtation with uh, some groundbreaking ways of interacting with fans. I felt immediately relieved because you guys are, you guys have been like so nice saying like, oh, Joanna, you figured out season one of Westworld and really I just followed the Reddit breadcrumbs. But like um, now everyone's like, okay, Joanna, predict season two. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, please have no expectations for me because I don't know. And like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And so I was like, oh, if it's all out there in a video, no one's going to demand that of me. I'll just be like, oh, I watched the video so I can't theorize. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, but <laughs> Now the, the hook. now the heat's back on. So, Paul, um, you had a uh, you did a panel with the the creators of Westworld and the actors of Westworld. What was the panel? What was the audience for the panel? So it was part of the uh, for your consideration screenings. This is for people who are going to be voting for the Emmys mostly. Um, so it's a you know kind of a, a closed invite only screening. It was at the ArcLight Theater out in Los Angeles, which is a big, beautiful theater in the Dome. So it's a great kind of venue to watch the premiere. And we actually had a really interesting makeup of the cast. It was, uh, you know, Jonah and Lisa, Evan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, Ed Harris, who doesn't really do these that much because he's often off acting on stage or being in films and stuff. So he that was a little bit of a, a treat. James Marsden and uh, Tandy Newton. You got everybody that you would want, you know, in, in, a, in a grand scheme. I mean, there's other people I'd like to talk to as well. But I asked the cast for one word to describe their character journeys uh, this season. And they each 
had an interesting word. I will tell you the one word that I don't think is a spoiler, which is when I said to Tandy, like, what's one word that describes your character this season? She said, without missing a beat, lasagna. I don't think that that is going to, I don't, unless there is a world that we don't know about where they're making amazing pasta. Her character has multiple layers, right? <laughs> oh, what? And each of the layers is super thick. Um, so deep. Like it. Physically and emotionally, you know, you guys know what I'm saying? Any other uh, highlights, Paul? For, you, you know, first of all, Paul, yes. I'm just, I think I put out there that the two questions I would have asked Jonathan Dolan, as you've already alluded to, question one, what kind of mattress do you have? Because I want to know how you sleep at night. And question two, um, hey, what exit do you uh, take to get to your house? Because I want to know where you get off, sir. Okay, that's all. Um, um, well, I, I did. I felt like I asked a couple of questions that got good responses, and these are non-spoiler questions. I said, you know, I thought it was interesting that James Marsden's character Teddy was programmed by Ford to get revenge on Wyatt. And now that we know that Evan Rachel Wood is Wyatt, how is that going to affect their relationship? It, will that come into play? And, you know, and James was talking about his character. He said that his character, he feels this season is going to be very conflicted uh, with a multitude of of influences and relationships. So that I feel like which will be interesting to see how that character kind of plays out, because in many respects, Teddy was the most simplistic host. He was the one who I think you could argue is the furthest away from the awakening of the core group. So I think it will be really interesting to see him struggle with what's going on. So I thought that was an interesting uh, response. And that's all from season one. I also asked Ed Harris if, and this is a theory that I was watching. I was like, I, I thought that the man in black to me feels like the protagonist of this show based on season one. We know that he has two storylines that are centered on him, of the multiple storylines. He, to me, if you're to, if, and I want to hear what you guys think about this, do you think he's the protagonist of Westworld? I think he thinks he's the protagonist of Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> I hear what you're saying. He's a character that was brought in there. Like, if you told it in a linear fashion. Yeah. Well, if you told it in a linear fashion, he would definitely be the protagonist. But I think... I don't think he's the protagonist. I, like, if I had to guess, and we, so we can kind of transition into the final right. stage of this podcast, which is like, if I had to guess about season two, right? It's about this robot rebellion, basically. And I think it's going to be about, like, the awakening of the hosts. And I got to imagine that the primary perspective that's going to happen uh, via is the host's perspective. We're only following one person's journey, though, from the beginning to end. We don't we never saw the first day of Maeve. We've never right. seen you know what I'm saying. I, I, I'm just I'm throwing it out there. This is purely the drum that I'm going to be beating now uh, because I feel like it's my own theory that before anything has started, I just and watching it all together, I'm like. I feel like this is Ed Harris's story. You're right. We didn't see the first day of Maeve, but we we saw, I mean, the hosts run on loops, right? We saw like the right. beginning of one of Maeve's loops, right? And how that led to the end of, of that, Maeve having of loops. That. We do see Dolores get literally built, though. You're so. right. Yeah. Dolores might, yeah, you're right. Dolores is actually another good, yeah, one that could be. But like Dolores and William, you're right, are sort of the anchors we were following through like the 35 year or the 30 year at least yeah. timeline. And maybe that's it, yeah. The Romeo um, and Juliet of this world. Right, right. If you think that William 
or the man in black is the protagonist, then do you see this? And this is just guessing and theorizing. There's no spoilers here, guys. Do you see this as a swing from like, because what it seems like is what they're giving us was swing from white hat to black hat, right? Um, like right. how does how does a quote unquote good guy, William's such a good guy, has the good guy become this like twisted, you know, shell of a man at the end? Are you then predicting a swing back to white hat? I don't know where that white hat, like how that comes into play. Because this is where I'm very curious to see where it goes because I don't know if we're at the end of his journey yet. Like, I, I wonder, you know, at the end of season two, where he'll be, because if he will even be at the end of season, you know, right. we don't know. We don't, you know, we don't know anyone's longevity on this show. I don't even know how many people are in the park. I mean, do you guys get a sense of that? Like, how many people are in the park when this robot rebellion happens? Right. Uh, well, uh, I mean, like, you know, all the people at that board meeting, right? Right. Um, but other than that, it's not really clear. I regret to inform you that Paul's theory has now worked its way inside my head, like <laughs> that that worm thing in Wrath of Khan, and I'm going to be thinking uh, about it all season. <laughs> look, this is the Anakin Skywalker journey, I think, you know, in a little bit of a way, maybe, I don't know. Who doesn't love an Anakin Skywalker <laughs> <laughs> can I um, Can I tell you the one thing? So at the end of the panel, I did ask one question. I said, look. I have to ask you the nerdiest question possible. Was that Yul Brenner's character from the Westworld film in cold storage in season one? Hmm. And he said, yes. Nice. And then I said, wait a second. So does that mean that the Westworld movie is part of the larger cinematic story that you are telling about Westworld? And he said, you only said you wanted to ask one question. Oh, snap. <laughs> hey, so are you saying that if you look in the background, you can see a Yul Brenner-esque uh, host in, in, in the cold yes. storage? Oh, yes. Oh, very cool. It, it has the exact same body. There's a very famous like, kind of image of like a frozen Yul Brenner. And that is that is clearly in one of the uh, the scenes that are early on in the season, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He's like exploring one of the lower levels and you're like, holy shit, it's Yul Brenner. That's what I did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were some minor things in season one that I, I like minor open questions that I was curious if they'd be addressed in season two. For instance, it was never really clear to me what happened with Logan. Like he rode off naked into like still naked on that horse. He's I still believe. naked on that horse. But like yeah. I, the, the idea is that like <laughs> William somehow used that to discredit Logan and take control of the company. But it's like really like there's no cameras in Westworld. Like you can't you know what I mean like. It just felt really implausible to me that he would be able to wrest control well, of Lo you know from Logan. Ben Barnes and Jimmy Simpson are back, so we haven't seen like the last of young mm. the trials of young Logan and young okay, William. Okay, fair enough. Elsie, I just felt like that character girl got killed basically off screen. It seemed like they didn't really deal with the consequences of her death in any major way. So I am curious, like if if anything is going to come of that. My guess is no, but all I'm going to say to you, Dave, is what I said to you literally last time we talked about this on the podcast which is if you don't see the body hit the floor mm. don't believe someone yes dead. i agree with you because i remember when you guys were talking about that uh in the last season of the podcast i agree like i think that they are very tricky this show is a tricky show so you really do need to see you, you need to see finality to know that someone is dead i i i believe that she is going to come back based on nothing that i know i just believe that that character is wow. not gone okay yeah all right all right okay so on that note uh as we wrap up here like let's just talk about kind of what we are hoping to get out of season two like what what is the storyline you're looking forward to the most like what is something that you really want to see you know what gets you amped about season two as we head into it paul Shear? What I feel and what I'm looking forward to is a connection 
to this world and this character that it really didn't have in season one. The beginning of season one, I, I feel like there's a lot of track being laid in those first five episodes. And so I think it's one of those shows where you had to invest some time to get the payoff. Obviously, beautiful visuals, and there's a lot going on. But right now, what I'm really excited about is seeing these characters, exploring these characters. There, We left them at this point where we know exactly where they are, and now we get to kind of see their stories in a way it's, a, it's sort of like in a weird way i feel like season one was the origin story of a lot of these characters and so now we're going to see them interact uh, you know it's yeah, the second it's, movie, it's like the iron know? man 2 of the yes. marvel cinematic universe you i'm just joking everyone, everyone like, doesn't like iron man 2. <laughs> anakin skywalker iron man 2 promises for people <laughs> i'm really amped <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean but the, yeah like you know to me i think you know i, I am going to be curious about how they're going to pull off where we're traveling i will say that in, as someone who's seen episode one, I still don't know how they're going to get to certain things that I've seen in those trailers where I'm like, oh, wait, were they there? Because I will say the one thing that in one of the trailers, it looks like they are on mainland or, or a populated city at one point. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is that? Like, what is that? Like, where does the story take place? Is it are we going forward or like this show is so unpredictable that you could we don't know. We don't know where the beginning, middle and end of the show is. So that's what I'm really excited about is what new direction they're going to take us in. And I think they're going to really whip us around. Yeah, you've, you've never seen really the world outside of, of Westworld or yes. um, the Dallas Corporation that's running Westworld. So it is an open question whether we will see the, the outside world. I don't think we even know what year this is taking place, right? Um, no. It, it could be taking place in the year like 4,000, you know, we, and they're on a different planet. Like, we have no idea. So Joanna Robinson. What are you look, looking forward to most in season two? I did a post on VF.com this week about sort of uh, digging into the new members of the cast that they've added. And like at first flush, I was like, God, do we need more characters? We have so many characters keep track on Westworld. But I really like what they've done with some of the casting choices here is really flesh out some of these other cultures that they are promising to follow. So we saw in season two uh, this like Japanese, what they're calling season, Shogun season World. Season one, you mean? Oh, sorry. In season one, you know, they've cast... Uh, freaking Rinko Kikuchi I'm so excited about because I love her so much of like uh, Babel and Pacific Rim and Kumiko the Treasure Hunter and the Brothers Bloom fame I'm a huge Rinko head so I'm really excited <laughs> that she's going to be there and there's like so they've cast like these great Japanese actors, actors to sort of flesh out this world because I think uh, I know that people are kind of on high alert for like um, there's been a lot of discussion about Orientalism and how it's used in pop culture Lisa Joy herself grew up in Asia and I think she is like really aware that she wants to if they're going to go to a japanese inspired world they're not going to do that lightly you know we saw a lot of the uh the ghost nation in season one but no one in that ghost nation makeup was like a character uh but they've cast a couple native actors uh for season two and i am you know i'm really excited for that, you know, um, especially I might bungle his name, but Zane McLaren or Zan McLaren, who was on Fargo season two, is an amazing. He was so good on Fargo and he's been cast, uh, you know, to be it looks like a part of Ghost Nation. And so I, I think that that is, you know, it's not it's not like Westworld hasn't been a diverse show leading up to this. But I think if they are going to, you know, dip their toes in or dive headfirst into different cultures, it behooves them to sort of make sure that they give us fully fleshed representation. And it seems like with the casting choices, uh, that's what they're going to do. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. Um, for me, I'm just excited for uh, more of that crazy world building. I've watched the trailer. You know, I usually don't watch trailers for things, Joanna Robinson, but I've watched the trailer for Westworld season two 
no joke, probably like 30 or 40 times, just because the, the visuals are spectacular. You got that Ramin Javadi, like classical old style arrangement of heart-shaped box. The way that the the production elements all come together uh, make for a really compelling and cinematic package uh, that I'm really looking forward to experiencing again. And um, I, I think I'm also kind of like excited to see what the show is going to try to say about humanity. Uh, one of the things that season one did is it put forward like a thesis about what it is that makes us human. Ford kind of explains it in the finale of season one about how it's uh, suffering, right? That uh, and suffering over an extended period of time, the the desire for things to be the, a way that they're not right now. That's what makes us human, right? Like that, and that that was one of his things that he put forward, or the creators of the show put forward. That like this is what makes us human. Another thing that makes us human is the ability to remember and learn, which is a theory that was also put forward in in Memento. Like the ability to feel time is essential to making us human. And I felt like these ideas were kind of touched upon. Some of them were explored, but I am hoping that those uh, themes are deepened in season two. I'm hoping that they dive more into into that and, and flesh it out a little bit more because it did feel like th- those scenes came up really quickly and then the, the season ended and I was like, I, I kind of wanted to hear more about that. Also, you know, I could be on board for just a crazy robot human war movie. Um, that would also be fun as well. So uh, I'm open to whatever season two has to bring, but those are some of my hopes. I have a response to that really quickly, which is why not both? Yeah, that would, be, that would be <laughs> perfect. That would be exactly what I'm looking for. Well, um, now can I uh, can I give you guys? I know we're we got to wrap up, but uh, can I give you guys two interesting details that I learned from this panel that have nothing to do with spoilers? Please do. First of all, uh, Jonah Jonathan Nolan. They told me to call him Jonas, so and now I do. Picks all the music for everything. Every trailer, like he is, like nothing that you hear in a musical way that represents Westworld is not gone through. Him. So every trailer, every uh, every scene. That's that's his big uh, addition to the show. I mean, inside, besides 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 making the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think that that's a really impressive. Like you know, like I think a lot of the times trailers and stuff are put together by different people, and right. you know, it's an outside source, and they kind of create their own thing. So it, it it is interesting to know that these trailers are, like you said, so stunning because I think they fit within the show. They're very carefully monitored by the people making the show, which often doesn't happen. I, I yeah. can speak from it's, experience. it's usually like a marketing department or you know a yes. marketing editor that's putting them together. I would have actually been surprised if Jonah, Jonathan Nolan didn't have oversight over the trailers, you know, yeah. because, because they, it feels like they capture the show and the mystery of the show so effectively. But yeah, that is a great detail. Um, and of course, there, there are many directors we know of that take a, like a strong hand in choosing the music and it, to, much, to like extremely memorable effect. And I will add two other small details. Episode four of this season, Lisa directed. So this is the first time she's ever directed. Yeah. So that would be something really interesting to look out for to see how that affects um, the show. She spoke about one location they were on. I won't mention what it was. It sounded amazing. It was just it was basically a color and a and a noun, but I won't even say that. But she did tell this great story about directing Ed Harris. And she said, you know, I'm directing Ed Harris and I'm nervous because I'm such a fan of him and I'm also intimidated by him because he's also a director. And I, you know, and, and I'm I'm feeling this pressure and and I'm feeling that the day is going great. You know, he he's riding his horse and 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 I'm like, this looks fantastic. And then she sees him get off the horse. And she said, you know, now in this scene. 
the horse is walking through a field where there are some bodies on the ground. And Ed gets off the horse and starts beating up one of the bodies. She's like, no, I won't mind you. It wasn't an extra. It was, it was, a, it was a mannequin, a dummy, whatever. And he starts punching, and she starts to freak out. She's like, oh, my God, what, what have I done? Like, what, I've, I've irritated Ed in some way. And, and she's come to find out that um, Ed told her that the horse was getting spooked. And so he needed to get off the horse and punch the bodies to make the horse know that they weren't real people that were in danger mm. so the horse could do his job, which I just think is such – like, I mean, it's such a great, like, man in black Ed Harris kind of like – he's such a cowboy that he's like, oh, yeah, this is how I'm going to show this horse what's up. I'm going to beat the crap out of this mannequin. <laughs> I just love that image of just Ed Harris going, like, yeah, I'll just punch this punch, punch this mannequin in the desert. Well, also, uh, also the idea that, like, the horse could then somehow connect that to the idea that the the things are dead. Don't question Ed Harris's horsemanship. I know. You, you don't know. You don't know. And, that's true. And the one other final detail. I'm sorry I'm, like, giving um, – but I figured this is what your fans are listening yeah. for. Some good inside scoop. Yeah. This other little detail that I thought was really interesting was uh, – and the cast talked about this a handful of times. Oftentimes they're not – they don't have the full script in front of them. They don't know exactly what they're doing, but they're in a location where they need to get a piece of a scene for a later episode. So they are making do with – little pieces of information and on other respects like when they shoot the show in utah where the show is shot a little bit in los angeles or mostly in los angeles uh at the ranch where they shot deadwood and uh, actually my show and tsf actually shot on the same place it's great and then uh and but then they shoot in utah but on those utah days they're saying they're the most exhausting days because they're shooting multiple episodes throughout the season they're doing so much character work because they need to kind of just get all these little beats. So it's another tip of the hat to these actors that what you're watching, it's not even shot in a, uh, in an order that most shows are shot. Like they are, you know, we're probably watching multiple episodes, uh, you know, episode one and episode 10 are shooting on the same day, which I think is a very Mm. interesting thing. I think that just goes to show you how great they are, that they're able to get from here to there and back again. Once again, I will shout out my favorite season one line, which is, where am I? When am I? <laughs> just basically like every every actor on yeah. the world. Uh, yeah. When and, when Dolores had that meltdown, I did feel like it was a very meta moment for the audience. Paul, we are so grateful that you not only uh, joined us to, to geek out about Westworld, but that you brought a lot of uh, extra knowledge from, from the cast and the filmmakers. So uh, thanks so much for joining us, Paul. It's been a pleasure, I'm, as it always is. Can you tell people where they can find your stuff on the internet? Yes, they can find me at Paul Shear pretty much everywhere, just at my name, S-C-H-E-E-R. And David, I want to say that uh, I'm excited to see how you watch a show as a married man now. I feel like, you know, things have changed, you know? Uh, so let's let's see. Maybe, you know, the you know, let's see if that if that adds to a different level of enjoying of the show. I'll we'll be, be like, we'll now see. I understand why people want to go to a theme park where they can um, <laughs> do things with no consequences. Anyway, no. Uh, thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. Uh, I, I did get married recently. Joanna was there. Uh, it that was, was great. It was pretty cool. I heard about the movie posters on your wall where you got <laughs> married. You you recreated uh, iconic film posters, and uh, I want to see pictures of them. They sound uh, yeah, I, I will show you. I'll show you uh, offline. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, and, and appreciate the congratulations. But uh, John Robinson, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? When I'm not attending Dave Chen's wedding, uh, you can find me at, which I only will probably do once, uh, <laughs> you can find me at vanityfair.com. I'm actually doing another Westworld podcast for VF with my my friend what? Richard Lawson over there. It's called Still Watching Cheating Westworld. What are you doing? Who, who is this? <laughs> they can't be as good as David. 
Richard's great. Uh, we, so let's no fighting. Way to make it awkward, more, Paul. Thanks. More uh, yeah. Westworld for everyone. Find me on Twitter, incorrectly predicting Westworld season two at Joe wrote this. And can I just say, uh, Joanna, like your uh, your write ups on Vanity Fair are just. I mean, I love your writing regardless, uh, but it, it's it's so great. It's it. I feel like this is uh, it's it's a must read. Even in listening to the podcast, it's still a must read. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, it's agreed. It is it is oh, a quintessential Dave. guide to no. to the show. So, guys, I want Jim Pop at the end of the season. I want right. you guys to get back into it. I love <laughs> hearing you guys talk about my favorite shows. You guys are perfect together. All right. Forget Thank this Vanity you. Fair guy. <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. And uh, find myself at Dave Chen. I'm on Twitter at, at Dave Chensky. You can still support this podcast by going to podcastkickstarter.com. And if you want to sponsor us, uh, email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. It's going to be an exciting season up ahead. We'll see you on the next episode of Decoding Westworld. Where are we? We're here together. And when are we? It's like I'm. Trapped in a dream or a memory from a life long ago. One minute I'm here with you in the next. You never did escape. But here we are again. For one final round. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.